I, uh, I want to veer off a little bit from our study today because I want to talk to you about this special weekend. Now, I want to say this morning to you all that we don't celebrate Easter. And it might shock a few of you if I say that. Easter is all about chocolates, Easter eggs, bunnies, all of that stuff. We don't celebrate that. No, no, what we celebrate is the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is not Easter. I just want to put it out there clear. It is so commercialized these days. I walked into the shops yesterday. You wouldn't believe it. Chocolates is at a premium price right now. You pay top dollar for chocolate right now. And people were pushing out by the trolley loads. It's Easter, eggs. Children don't know what it's all about anymore. There's massive parties, you know, Easter egg hunting and it's rabbits. Nobody tell them anymore it's about Christ. Nobody tell them anymore. Now, I've got good advice for you. If you love chocolate like I do, wait a few days and that price is going <laughs> to drop. <laughs> and you can get a bargain. <laughs> And then you can walk out with the trolley loads. <laughs> and you can even stock up for next year, but by then the chocolate is not fresh anymore, isn't it, Matthew? <laughs> but let's not kid ourselves. Easter is a pagan word. Uh, I'm not going to unpack that for you this morning. I might upset a few children. I might upset a few people. But you know what? I don't care because this weekend is about what Christ did for us on the cross. This is about His death and His resurrection. And our children need to know and hear that. This is why today I want the children to sit in church. We are all children, aren't we? But I want to talk to you today. There's so many things we can talk about on Easter. I mean, the passage that my brother read, I've preached so many sermons out of that passage. And we can preach about the death and we can preach about the resurrection. In fact, one of these years, we all should come to church over this weekend three times. We should have a service on the Friday, the Saturday, and the Sunday, yes? And we preach all of those. And I believe you will come, because we don't just come to church when we feel and like it, is it? We come to church to worship God. Is that why you're here this morning? Amen. But I, over this week and over this last two weeks as I contemplated about what I'm going to preach today, came to this passage. I want to talk to you today about something which touches us all, which makes us understand the meaning, the true meaning of this weekend, the true meaning of why Jesus Christ went to the cross. I want to talk to you about the cup of wrath, the cup of wrath. And who would think you can talk about this on the Easter weekend. Let me show you. As we open up in your Bibles, if you do have a Bible here, I want us to open up in Mark chapter 14, verse 32, as we talk about the cup of wrath. Now, I'm just going to work through this passage, and I'm going to fill it in also with Luke, because there's a few things I want to show you in this passage. In Mark 14, verse 32, he says, Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. Who knows that name? Gethsemane. They came to a place which is named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, this is Jesus now, 
sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. In Luke chapter 22, verse 39, it's the same passage, but it's Luke writing this account now. He says, coming out. Now, they were coming out from the upper room. What happened by now? By now they came together, they had their final meal, what we heard about this morning, and Judas Iscariot already betrayed him. Well, he walked out on Jesus. And then when they came out, he went to the Mount of Olives. As he was accustomed, this is important for us to see those words. What did he do on the Mount of Olives? What do you think? He went there to pray. He went there to pray. He went to the Mount of Olives to pray. As it is accustomed. I like that word. Have you got a place? Have you got a Mount of Olives? Where you are accustomed to go to? This is also called your inner closet or your prayer place. Jesus went there often to pray. So this is not something new to Him. And so we should have a Mount of Olives in our lives. It could be anywhere around your house where there's no distractions or anything, where you hit your knees and you lay before God and you pour your heart out to Him. You pour your heart out to Him about your life. And you ask Him at that place in Mount of Olives for His wisdom and for His knowledge. Without that... Life is difficult. It says he's coming out, and he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples followed him when he came to the place. You see that? The place. We see here that the place name is Gethsemane. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. We are living in a world of temptation. Who knows that? The world is looking for your attention. The world is tempting you. Temptation is not a sin. It is when temptation has actualized and become an action that it becomes a sin. But Jesus turns to them and He says to them, pray that you fall not into temptation at a place where He's accustomed to go. Let me say to you that your strongest weapon you have against temptation is prayer. You can read books, you can read whatever, but your strongest is prayer and reading and searching the Scriptures of God. He says, when he came to this place of Gethsemane, he said to him, now Gethsemane means an olive press. He's on the Mount of Olives. Gethsemane is an olive press. And the amazing thing is, dear friend, that our Lord Jesus Christ, if you think how you get olive oil out of olives, how do you get that? They press the olive. And when they press the olive hard enough, what comes out? Oil. Olive oil. At this place, we will see in front of our eyes today that our Lord Jesus Christ was pressed. He was pressed in the place where they press olives. But the amazing thing here is, as he goes to this place, which is on the east side of the temple, he had to cross a small little river. It is called the Brook of Kidron. 
the brook of Kidron. As he walked into this garden, he would walk over this little river. And that little river, if he could speak this morning, and if the waters that runs through that river, and maybe a small plank over the river, and as they cross there, if the river could look up into the face of Jesus, he was walking in there to pray and to be praised because there was a rebellion against him out of Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot also represents the rebellion of the world to reject him. You see, this is not the first time that this little brook would have looked upon, would have looked upon it. This little brook called Kidron, he walked over there. And I don't know, I don't know how his face would have looked if that river could talk. And, and it flows here this morning and he says, when I looked upon the face of the Savior of the world, as he walks in this time of agony into that garden, because the garden became a garden of agony, what was his face looking like? But this is not the first time, because in the Old Testament there was a man called David, which was a type of Christ. A type of Christ. We find this playing off back in the book of Samuel. In the book of Samuel we remember that Absalom now came, and he, he did what? He rebelled against his father. He rebelled against his father, against David. And he was taking over, and David had to flee. He had to run away because his only son was going to kill him. You see, this is the picture of Judas, the one closest to Jesus. The one who was so close. One of his disciples came to Jesus. And you know what he did? He betrayed him here. His very own son, this is David, stood up against him. And we find here in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, So David said to Itai, now, Aitai was a Gentile. I can preach a very good sermon out of that for you to show you where the Gentiles is in, the, uh, grafted into the olive tree. But he says, so Aitai, uh, David said to this man, go and cross over. Cross over what? Then Aitai the Gittite and all of his men and all of his little ones who were with him crossed over. Before this, David said to Aitai, You've got no case here. You go back. Absalom won't kill you. He wants to kill me. He wants to destroy me. You go back. And you know what he says? He says, no, I stay with you, David. And he crossed over. Now look at this verse now. And all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron, and all the people crossed on towards the wilderness. This little brook, he walked over like Jesus many a years after would walk over that same brook into the garden of Gethsemane. The name here for the brook Kidron means a valley of decision or the place of final judgment. Remember, this is where Jesus walks into, the valley of decision. Remember that, the place of final judgment. In Mark 14, as we follow now again, he says, Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Now listen to this now, church. He says to them, Stay here and watch. 
And he went a little further and fell on his ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not that I will, but that your will be done. You see, it is the valley of decision. He's before a decision now. It is the place of final decision. And he says these words. First of all, he said to them, stay here and watch. That's a military word. Be aware. Keep your eyes open. Why did he go to this mountain? Because he prayed. What did he say to them earlier on? If you pray, that's the best weapon against temptation. What do you watch out for? Watch out for temptation that will come to you. Because temptation will make you tired, will make you dreary. Your eyes will become slack and you will not be aware of what is coming. So he says this to them. In Luke chapter 22 verse 43, when we follow it there, and then the angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then the sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Something happened in this garden. There was agony in this garden. I want you to understand it this morning. Before we have the cross, we have Gethsemane. Before we have the resurrection, we have Gethsemane. What happened here? What happened in this garden? In Mark 14, 37, we follow. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch. And now he says to them, watch and pray. Lest you enter into temptation, the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. I want you to notice here one thing. He says to them there, stay here and watch. You see that? Then he says to them, watch and watch and pray. He takes it further. In the place where he prayed, where it was a custom for him to go, he prayed there. And then he says to them, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Who knows that? The flesh is weak. Paul says it later on. He says, the things I want to do, I don't do them. And the things that I don't want to do, them I do. Is that you? It certainly is me. And you know what happens with this indecision? Procrastination happens. And procrastination makes you lazy. He says to them, these men, watch, they fell asleep. He says to them, watch and pray, what's going to happen? They fell asleep again. They want to stay awake, but they fell asleep. He says this to them. You see, Peter, just like us, failed later on when he was tempted. When they came to him, he said, do you know this man? He says, no, I don't know him. I don't know him. What happened? He didn't, he didn't watch. He didn't pray. He didn't stay alert. He didn't stay awake. He failed to watch and pray. The spiritual battle is often won or lost before the crisis comes. Think about that. And here he prays. I want to continue on. Look at verse 40. 
He says, And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And this is what happens. I'm telling you, in the church today, even there's people with eyes wide shut. They are fast asleep. There's dangers coming. There's temptations coming. It's the end times, whether you want to believe it or not, but people are fast asleep. And they did not know what to answer him when he came. Then he came the third time and said to him, Are you still sleeping and resting? Is it, it's enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So this is what happened there. And then they stood up, and we know what happened after this. Judas Iscariot came to him, and he gave him a kiss. A kiss is supposed to show love, but it was the kiss of a betrayer, and they took Jesus. Peter standing there with his sword. He pulled it up, and he chopped off some man's ear, Marcus, the, the priest. He chopped it off, and Jesus said, not this way. He picked it up and healed it. But I want to talk to you for a few moments this morning about this cup. He was talking about this cup. You see, when he sprayed in verse 36, he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not that I will, but that you will. What cup is he talking about? What does he mean by this cup? That's right, my brother. It is the cup of wrath. The cup is a powerful picture of the wrath and the judgment of God. I want you to think about that. Jesus prayed and he says, take this cup away. And that is the sign, the cup, of the wrath of God and the judgment of God. And we find this. We find this right through the Bible. In Psalm 75 verse 8, he says, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup. I want you to understand something here. You're going to see how this cup is going to come back to you and me. Because, brother and sister, you and I have got a cup that we need to drink. He says here in, in Psalm 75, 8, he says, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red, and it is fully mixed. It means that it's ready to be served when it's fully mixed, and he pours it out. Surely it's dregs. Shall all the wicked of the earth drink, uh, drain and drink down? What will happen? Who will drink this? Come on, it's on the board. Who will drink this? The wicked. All the wicked of the earth will drink this. It's mixed. It's ready. It's the cup of wrath. Let's go further. Let's look at this cup in Psalm 11 verse 4. The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, His eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked He will rain, what? Coals, fire, brimstone, burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, He loves righteousness, His countenance beholds the upright. I want to I paint you a picture here this morning of a cup of wrath in the Old Testament. And then he continues on in Isaiah 51 verse 17, and again, there's so many scripture verses, I, I could have chosen so many more. He says, Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, 
You who have drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of what? The cup of His fury. This cup is a cup of fury. You have drunk its dregs of the cup of trembling. It's a cup of fury and a cup of trembling, and He drained it out. This is the cup that we find here in the Garden of Gethsemane. And here is the amazing thing. Jesus had to drink that cup. He drank that cup. So the question that we need to ask this morning is, what happened here? What happened in this garden? The cup of the Lord, this cup, this particular cup, is for the enemies of God. The cup is for those enemies. So you may ask this morning, but who is the enemies of God? Who can we talk about when we talk about the enemies of God? Can you see, I want to show you something here, that that cup, the agony, when his sweat became like drops of blood, it was for a reason. What was that reason? He says it right here. What happened here? In Philippians chapter 3, verse 18, he says, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you weeping that they are the enemies of the cross whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who sets their mind on earthly things. In Philippians 3 verse 18, for many walk, everybody say many, for many walk of whom I have told you often, now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And look at James chapter 4 verse 4, adulterous and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is what? enmity with God. You wouldn't have said that, would you? Oh, but I love the world. God comes second. If you say you love the world more than God, what are you? You're an enemy of God. Look, it's not I'm telling you this. I know it's a serious message, but this is a serious weekend. Again, I come back to the thing. It's not Easter. It's not a party. Hey, we're going to celebrate Easter. We're going to have a party. That's not what it is. This is a price that was paid. And the price that I want to show you this morning is this cup of wrath that the enemies of God had to drink. He says it's enmity with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself what? An enemy of God. Enemy of God. There's a cup for these people. 1 John chapter 5 verse 19. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the what? The wicked one. You say, but wait a minute preacher. I'm okay. I'm good. Am I an enemy of God? The Bible says that we all go astray speaking lies. The Bible says that we all have fall short of the glory of God. That's how we were born. You were not born as a friend of God. You say, but wait a minute, I look at this little baby and, and they are so beautiful, but do they come out of the womb and sing praises to God? Do they? Do, is that the first thing on their mind? To come out and sing a hallelujah song? No, they grow up in a fallen nature. They will grow up, these little babies and children, to love this world. They will, because they live in the world. And the world will tempt them. And you know what will happen? It will come to fruition. And they will grow up in sin. And they will sin as they were born, according to Adam and Eve. And you know what they need? They need a Savior. 
And I'm telling you this morning, according to the Word of God, that these little babies who grow up and they become toddlers and young, young little children and young men and young women and young adults and older people, all of them has got a cup to drink. And if you're an enemy of God, this is the cup you drink. That's not a pretty picture, is it? If I give you a cup, if you come to my house, it's a cup of friendship. If you walk in and I say, can I make you a cup of coffee? What's going to be in the, in the cup? Come on, it's, it's easy. Coffee. If you say, no, I want a soft drink, what's going to be in the cup? A soft drink. You know at least what's in there, my friend. I'm giving you what the world, what God is actually giving the world to drink is the cup of wrath. And you say, why would a loving God do that? It's because there's a sinful people. That's why. That's why. Friend, if you and I sit here today and we want to go to heaven, let me explain to you something about heaven. Heaven is 100% holy. 100% holy. Who loves eggs? Who loves scrambled eggs? I do. I make sometimes, I make toast. I love it well. I get the toaster out and I sit there and I make the scrambled eggs. You know what I do sometimes? I know I'm a big man. I take five or six eggs, okay? I know you take two, but I take five or six. And I've got the pan out there and I do the pan and I take the first one, I crack it open and second one, crack it. And I, I'm so good at it now, I can do it with one hand. You know, crack it, crack it. And the first and the fourth. What happens if I've put four eggs in there and the fifth one I crack open and I throw it in without even thinking and it's a rotten egg? Do I go on and make scrambled eggs and eat it? Will you? You wouldn't even eat eggs when there's a rotten one in there. How would you want to go to heaven when there's one sinner in heaven? Let me tell you this morning, friend, there will be not one, not one sinner in heaven because God is holy and, uh, and with Him is holiness. This is why He's prepared a cup of wrath for the world. There is consequences that's coming. I want you to be clear this weekend. I know last week we preached about being born again. And you know what? I just preached what the Lord lays upon my heart. I want you to understand what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. In that oil press, when they crushed the, the, the olives and the oil comes out, our Lord Jesus Christ was crushed. But with what was He crushed? With this cup. With this cup. You know, when I think about this, I had to be the one who had to cross that, that little river, that brook of Kidron. I had to, everyone, everyone sitting, look at me now. You are the one who had to cross that brook of decision or final judgment and come into that place of oil praise. And you and I had to drink that cup in that garden. But you know, Friend, brother, sister, he did it for us. This was made for the wicked one. Now that you understand this cup, listen to his words again, will you? He says, Abba, Father. He says, My Father, Daddy, Father. 
as you and I can call upon Him now. He says, all things are possible for you. You know what He meant by those words? He says, you can take this away. But, but He says, take this cup away from me. This cup of trembling, this cup of fury, this cup of wrath, which John Shipman had to drink. I had to drink that cup of wrath. And you know what? I wouldn't be able to drink it. I would be lost for eternity because there's nothing inside of me that will be able to stand before a holy God. Nothing inside of me will give me any impotence to drink and stand before Him and say, I'll drink that cup. This is it. What happened here? Let me tell you. Jesus took our place as the enemy of God. He took our place. The Lord who came from glory took my place as the enemy of God. He was judged and drank the cup of the Father's fury so we would not have to drink from that cup. This was the source of His agony. Can you understand now? Can you understand now that he went back to his disciples and he said to them, you are sleeping. You don't even know what's going on in this garden. You don't even know the agony that I'm going through for you. And all I'm asking you is not to come. He he left them behind. Have you read the passage? Have you read it? He left them behind. He didn't say, I need your strength to help me through. He went on his own. He went there. He bowed before the Father. And you know what? The agony, the full weight of our sin, your sin and my sin, was laid upon him. And he was crushed like that olive, so that, the Bible says, his sweat became like drops of blood. All he asked them to do was watch him pray. And they couldn't even do that. Where are you? Do you realize what he's done? He took our place. In Romans chapter 5 verse 10, it says it to us, For even when we were enemies, you see, who was the enemies? We were the enemies. And what was the enemy supposed to get? The cup of wrath. I showed it to you out of the Old Testament, out of the New Testament. There's no escape here. Even when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. You see, He knew what He was coming into. And now, He says, Father, if it's possible, take care of it. Nevertheless, not... Not what I will, but your will. Now let me ask you, what is that meaning there? It was the Father's will that Jesus was pressed for you and for me. Because if it wasn't the Father's will, the Father could have taken it away, could he? But he says, nevertheless, it is your will. Let me just give you one glimpse of more of the agony. In Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 we find it. He says, who in the days of his flesh, who's this? It's Jesus. He who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, and supplications with a vehement cries and tears. Does that sound like the Garden of Gethsemane? With him in Christ and tears to him who was able to save him from the dead 
and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Let me summarize this morning, and I want to ask you a question. You've got a choice here this morning. So easy as that. You either decide to drink your own cup of wrath. You remember when the disciples came up to him? They said to him, Lord, let me sit at your left and let me sit at your right hand side. You remember that? And he turned to them and he says, uh, the cup that I'm going to drink, you won't be able. Yet you will drink a cup, which means we all will die physically one day. We're all going to drink a cup. But brother and sister, you either drink your own cup and you try to carry the burden and the fury and the wrath of God. Or you come to Him who did it on your behalf. You surrender your life to Him. He saved your soul and it was done on your account that He had this cup in the Garden of Gethsemane. Can you see that before victory comes the Garden of Gethsemane? Have you ever thought about Gethsemane like this morning? That cup that was meant for you and for me? Whose cup do you want to drink? Your own cup? Or do you want the Lord Jesus Christ to drink the cup on your behalf? Which he did. Which he did. I want to play you one song and then we'll pray. We'll pray after that as you think about this. Darkness filled the sky the day that Jesus died in agony upon the bitter cross. They took his body down and laid it in a tomb. His friends believed that everything was lost. But when the Yeah. 
Praise the Lord. You see, this is not where it ends. It's not where it ends in the garden. That's not where the price was paid. In the garden, he made the decision to drink the cup. But then after that, he left the garden. And when those soldiers came, and Judas Iscariot was there, and he walked over to him, and he kissed him because that was a sign. They took him, and he would go into six court cases, three by the Romans and three by the Jews. But then they took him and they dragged him to the cross. See, all this needed to happen. He didn't pray that day and say, Lord, please let the death go away, the cross. He was going to go to the cross, and that's where he decided to drink the cup of wrath. But it happened on the cross when he was nailed to the cross that your and my sin was nailed with him to that cross. That's where it happened. Because they broke his body open and his blood came out for you. And that was where the blood of the Lamb washed away your sin. How wonderful and privileged is it that you sit here today? If I stop at the garden alone, this is a doom and gloom message. You might be sitting here and say, what happened? But you know he did go to the cross for you. For me. And when you see him hanging on the cross, think of this. Written upon him was the sin of mankind. Your sin. The wrath that you had to take was hanging there. And they poked him. Listen to this. They came to him. If you hang on the cross, they break your leg so that you can die quicker. The agony is gone. They didn't have to do it with him so that prophecy could, be, prophecy could be fulfilled. He gave up his life. Nobody took it from him. But this is the great news, brother and sister. They put him in a tomb. They rolled the stone in front of the tomb. And they thought, this is it. It's finished. But it's not. It continues on. Because on the third day, as you've heard this morning, the stone has been rolled back. And he's been risen. He's been risen. This is why I can preach this morning the sermon. And, and I know that you sit here this morning and you say, Thank you, Lord, for taking my cup. But you know what? Thank you, Lord, for being alive. He's risen. They go to his grave and they dig it open. I'm sorry I was loud, brother, but I can't help it. But they dig up the grave and they look for DNA. They, they couldn't find his DNA because he is risen. So thank you, Lord, as the song says. You brought us home. Before I pray, brother, sister, sir, madam, make sure that when you close your eyes tonight, you go to sleep, that you pray this prayer out to God and say, Father, I want to make sure that I don't drink that cup of wrath because Jesus did it for me. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning.